The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Um, is there anybody here who's new, who's never been here before? Your second time, great, okay. Was there somebody, did somebody raise their hand? I couldn't, okay. Okay, good. So, um, my name's Ines Friedman, for those of you who don't know me. Um, And I'll be teaching uh, the next three weeks uh, a series on the uh, Kalesis, they're called. Um, And they're the torments of the mind. That's uh, one of the ways we refer to them, or the defilements. They're basically the, the roots that in our minds that keep us from being at peace and happy. And those roots are greed, hatred, and delusion. And um, every moment that you're, you're not comfortable with yourself, you're not, um, you know, from the littlest, you know, you know, gotta, you know I'm just a little too, uncom- too hot, I'm a little too this, a little too that, to the really big sufferings in life, um, the root of those sufferings are in these three roots inside us, um, greed, hatred, and delusion. And so I'll be talking about each one of them separately um, in the next weeks. Today I'll be focusing um, on the root of greed. But basically, they all have something in common. What they have in common is that we want things to be other than they are. We either want something we don't have, or we want what's there to go away. Uh, But that's really the basic thing, is we don't want life to be the way it is right this moment. Um, And there's nothing wrong with the idea of wanting uh, to create a better life, in terms of, you know, if there's poverty, wanting to create plenty for people. Um, if uh, you're unhealthy, wanting to be healthier. You know, th- those are all uh, wonderful things to want. Um, but there's a really big difference between um, wanting things to be different because um, it's a really wholesome, healthy thing to want and craving. And this very tight thing that can happen within us that says, my life is not a ride until this happens. You know, this moment isn't good enough until this happens. Um, So, you know, Buddhist practice is often referred to as uh, the path of purification. And one of the things that happens is that as our minds get quieter, our minds get more settled, we start to be able to see what's inside of us a little bit better. If we're always busy running around, you know, chasing after this, chasing after that, we don't get to see what our motivations, what our deepest things that drive us are. And so as the mind gets settled in meditation, what sometimes happens is that these roots show themselves. You know, for instance, um, you know, maybe somebody has spent their whole life, um, you know, with kind of a superiority complex, you know, uh, I'm sure either in yourself or in people you know, you've met people who are kind of like, well, I know better than everybody else, you know, that kind of attitude. Uh, or sometimes we have it for a period of time. And as you begin to look at that attitude in oneself, you begin to see that, oh, that's actually based on, on insecurity, on fear, 
on not wanting to be out of control, not wanting to feel certain things. So as their minds settle, we're able to see those dark, deeper motivations, uh, deeper things that actually torment us. Because, you know, if you look at people, either yourself or other people you know, if you're trying to be better than everybody else, you're not happy, right? You know, that, you know, you can't be happy when you're always like, putting out that effort. You can't really be close to people when you're trying to be better than them. So those, you know, as we practice, those things sometimes can show up, you know, and, and they're often not so pretty, in other words. You know, often what we see when we look inside, it's like, oh my God, what a, what a chaos is inside my mind, or, or what fears and insecurities and... Um, so it's very important to begin to look at these things as part of the process of purification. And when they arise, to have an attitude of, oh, it's wonderful, they're arising, good. They can be, you know, I can see them more clearly and understand them and eventually be able to let them go. Uh, so, so just very briefly, like greed, the root of greed, you know, that wanting what we don't have, you know, or trying to hold on to what we do have. It gives rise to feelings of selfishness, um, to lust, to gluttony, uh, to jealousy, to obsessiveness, um, to stinginess, to desire for power. You know, so the, the root itself is a very similar root, but it has all these different flavors. Same thing with the root for uh, hatred or aversion, which is when we don't want certain things in our life, you know, what happens when we get we don't want what we get angry, you know, we get um, irritated. There's all sorts of flavors of angry, right? You know, somebody uh, blocks you in traffic, you can go from, uh, you know, really happy to pissed off in a second, you know, uh, hostility, even violence. So it has all these flavors of ill will, of hatred can be there. Um, and delusion is kind of like a cloud that shrouds what's happening in your life. You know, you don't, you know one of the ways of saying it is um, greed says, I want. Hatred says, I don't want. Delusion says, I don't know if I want or don't want. I don't know what's happening. Right? I don't know that I'm wanting or not wanting. So how much of the time, like for instance, as you've been sitting here talking, um, how many have moved, you know, because you're a little uncomfortable but didn't even notice it? You just kind of shuffled just to try to get a little comfortable. You weren't really aware that you were having an unpleasant sensation, that you were uncomfortable, and then had the desire to move, and you moved. So we didn't even see that. So um, delusion is just is not noticing when we're wanting or not wanting. Um, it's, it's very briefly kind of overly, overly simplified. Um, and they say that um, both greed and hatred are based on delusion. Because delusion, it, the basic core delusion is that if we get what we want, we're going to be happy. Or if we don't get what we don't want, we'll be happy. That's the basic delusion that we, we function most humans on this planet function with that idea. If I can just get my life just the way I want it, then I'll be happy. But we never can get our lives the way we want it. And therefore, we're always struggling with, with this, you know, life just isn't quite good enough. Things aren't quite the way they should be. 
so uh, that's like the delusion that that um, if we get what we want, we'll be happy. Um, for instance, uh, it's let's say you you know you see a piece of you have a little piece of pie for dessert, you know, and you know it's really tasted good, and it's greed that says I want that second piece, right? But it's illusion that says if I just get that second piece, then I'll be happy. For how many seconds, right? Um, so it's really natural for us humans to reach for what's pleasant and to push away what's unpleasant. If we didn't do that, plants do that, every animal does that. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't survive. So it's a really natural instinct. So sometimes we have to really understand that we all, you know, if we didn't have the desire for eating, you know, we, we wouldn't survive for having uh, sex. We, you know, humanity would atrophy without children. Um, if we didn't have, you know, want to be warm, you know, we'd die out in those storms. Uh, so it's a very natural thing to, to go for what we want and to push away what we don't want. What the issue is, is when there's a craving attached to it. You know, and that can be said in a number of ways, but, but, but you know, the way... So, for instance, let's say you want... Um, you know, you have this natural desire, you're hungry, you want to eat something. But somebody says, uh, there's a fire, you know, there's a fire, I think it's really better that you go put out the fire, <laughs> you know. And so the mind can go, oh no, I'm going to miss my piece of pie, you know. And you can get really uptight about it, you know. It's kind of a, you know, usually adrenaline takes over. But, um, but that, that additional, I've got to have it. I want it and I've got to have it. That extra, I've got to have it or I don't want it, and I, I really hate it. You know, that additional is what we're referring to. Not the natural movement towards uh, what we call healthy desires, uh, and movement away from unhealthy things in life, unhelpful things in life, but the, that craving that comes along with it that says, I've just got to have things my way, and then I'll be happy. Um, You know, I just want to give you a, a small quote about this from Bhante Gunaratna. I don't know if any of you have read him. You know, he's uh, a wonderful teacher. He wrote um, Mindfulness in Plain English and Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. You know, he said, uh, with practice, we're scraping away the soil in which these unwholesome roots have been lodged. With meditation, we actually begin to change the physical shape of the mind. Now, one of the things that happens is when we're in the habit, let's say we're in the habit of um, uh, watching TV, you know, and so the first thing we do in the morning when we wake up is turn on the TV, you know, and that's like a really deep habit. We've been doing it for 30 years, you know. The mind actually has a groove for that activity, you know, it actually has like a little indentation that's formed specifically for that activity so that when you get up in the morning, the mind already is, is in the movement. It'll actually go turn it on before you even know you're turning, turning it on. It just becomes a habit. And that's how all habits are. All the habits are actually, you know, as we, as we get older and older, we have more and more groups in our minds, and they're re- literally there. You know, they're just these little indentations we create. With meditation, we create new in, new grooves so that the mind, instead of automatically going there, 
the mind says, ah, I've got a moment of choice. I don't have to go there. I might go meditate instead of turning on the TV. Or I might, uh, you know, go, go call, a, call a friend or, you know, whatever, whatever might be a, a different choice. Um, so I'm going to begin uh, in a little bit more now talking about specifically about the uh, kalesa or, or um, defilement of greed. Um, you know, and I really want to differentiate again between greed and desire. Now, these are often used interchangeably, so this is really strictly for being able to talk about the ideas. You know, um, desire is an inclusive term. It includes helpful desires and unhelpful desires. You know, a desire for for food, for shelter. You know, is a desire just as is a desire for heroin. You know, one might be helpful, one's unhelpful. So desire encompasses the whole realm of helpful and unhelpful desires. Desire isn't going to go away. Um, it's the unhelpful desires of, that arise from greed. It's when we take a helpful desire and add craving to it, that I have to have it, that converts it into an unhelpful desire. So, um, and as I said, the survival of the human race depends on healthful desires. Um, so it's easy how we can, you know, uh, it's easy to see that the desire for food, if we cling to it, can lead to gluttony. Or if the desire for shelter, you know, we all want to be in a nice, warm home. It can lead to um, a really strong desire for security. Okay, I want a really, you know, a home that has locks on every door and every window and no possibility of ever losing my home and, and on and on and on. And you can really build a lot of fear around that simple desire to have shelter. Um, desire for sex uh, can often turn into really unhealthy uh, behaviors of, you know, um, instead of having a, a wonderful experience with someone we appreciate, it can turn into uh, something that gives us a disease and uh, causes harm in our relationships. Um, and desire for awakening in meditation, for, uh, for being at peace, if we cling to it, actually keeps us from being at peace. <laughs> so it turns against itself. When we want it so badly, we've already not relaxed and turned away from it. It, it becomes very elusive. So the desire for being at peace is a really healthy desire. But we have to recognize in ourselves when we want something, are we feeling lighthearted, inspired, open, or are we contracted and tight? When we're contracted and tight, we have greed in place. We have a defilement there. So understanding is a central part. Understanding desire is a central part of this inside meditation practice. It's really rare for us humans to just be. You know, I like Gil likes to talk of people as um, human desirelings not just beings. I, I always like that. You know, because if, if you sit here, you know, if you watch your mind, often, you know, there's just wanting going on. You know, like just as you've been sitting here, you know, can you, if you think back for the last minute, have you had any desires? You know, have you had anything come up in your mind? You know, maybe, maybe not, you know. 
Uh, what might be something that came up? You know, I wish this chair was more comfortable. Hungry. Hungry. Cold. Cold. Okay. Yeah, so things come up, and they come up. And, and often they don't even reach the surface. We're already scratching. You know, how many of you have been working with uh, scratches, with not scratching when you get an itch in meditation? Have you, are you able to do that, to just sit with it? Yeah, so that's, it's, what's really wonderful about that is that you can really understand desire when that happens. When you're meditating, an itch comes up, and you can really, instead of focusing on the itch, you can really turn your mind and pay attention to wanting to scratch it. How does that wanting to scratch it feel? What does that desire feel like? And really stay with it, and, and it does go away. It does go away. Um, so desire can range from the very subtle to the very gross. Um, <clears throat> and so the first thing is to recognize when desire is present. And that way we can figure out whether it's a wholesome desire that we want to follow through with or um, an unwholesome desire that we want to not follow through with. Or even a wholesome desire that we may not want to follow through right now. Um, so the, the grossest level of, this, of um, craving is addiction. You know, it's such as, you know, you can get addicted to drugs, you can get addicted to cigarettes, and all the, the addictions basically cause very noticeable damage in people's lives, right? You know, cigarette uh, addiction cause, can cause lung cancer. Um, drug addiction, you know, causes people to commit crimes often for, to... to support their habit, it ruins their health. Uh, gambling addiction, you know, people lose their whole lives, you know. Um, sex addiction, food addiction, all these addictions, you know, can, are very, um, you know, that's kind of the, the one extreme of desire. It's very easy to see, right? You know, it's, it's hard to uh, hide a cigarette addiction, right? Um, but but then you can go to the entire other range with the very subtle desires. Like you're meditating and, and you just want it to be a little better, a little more interesting. You know? And we can totally miss that, that craving for more, that this moment isn't good enough. Um, another area that, that brings a lot of um, uh, suffering in the world is greed for money, greed for money and things. You know, greed for money, you get corporations that, you know, um, destroy the environment, abuse children, abuse people. Um, or, you know, parents who sometimes, uh, I've seen people who, um, who work for more and more money when they don't even need to be, and don't spend any time with their kids because that's their idea of success. You know, they've got, they've got to have more and more and more. It's never enough. Um, or people who hate their jobs, um, and they could get something else, but you know they have these golden handcuffs. It's, it's what they're called, you know. And um, like I remember, I really admired um, um, someone we knew. She was a school teacher, and she's a really great school teacher. She loved teaching kids, and she was given a promotion to become um, the principal of the school, and she turned it down. It was a lot more money, a lot more status. But she said, you know, I really love teaching, you know, teaching kids, you know, and that's what I want to do. 
And, um, and I've known people who've made the other choice. You know, they, they went from a job they loved to a job they hated because they got more money. Um, and the other thing that people do is greed for things, you know. Um, people's houses these days, you know, because we have a lot in the society, so people's houses tend to be cluttered, um, you know, sort of chaotic. Some people spend so much time taking care of their possessions, you know, that they're actually, you know, we can be slaves to our possessions, you know, taking care of the house, taking care of the car, taking care of this, you know, all, the, all these responsibilities to our stuff. And, um, you know, there's a, a story that I, that I, you know, I liked. I was sitting on retreat down in the desert, and, um, and it had just been in the newspaper, so, uh, so the teacher of the retreat told us a story. And, um, and this woman, um, you know, who was li- living nearby, uh, these boys were walking home from school, and they peeked in through her window, and, you know, they found the place was just ravaged, you know, with stuff and, you know, and just this huge mess. And so they called the police and said they thought the place had been burglarized. And, uh, you know, the woman opened the door to the police, you know, and she was so embarrassed <laughs> because she was just a clutterer, you know, and she just kept accumulating, 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 you know. But the, but the good thing about the story is that, you know, she started um, Clutters, and Clutters Anonymous group down there. And uh, which is like a really, really wonderful thing, you know, and really brought a lot of awareness to the, to that habit of of making uh, letting our possessions rule our lives in a way. Um, there was another another story that comes to mind. Um, I don't know if, how many of you've heard of Peace Pilgrim. Have you heard of her? She she was this really amazing woman in the fifties um, who walked. Um, across America, across Canada and Mexico. Uh, for I think she went three years without, um, you know, just ba- basically just walking, walking, with no possessions. I think she had five things, you know, her, her clothes, a comb, a pen, I forget, a couple of other minor things, but she had no money, nothing. And she just wore a big sign that said, Peace Pilgrim. And her purpose was to just pass the message of peace across, you know, wherever she went. And she only ate when food was given to her, or she, and she only slept wherever. If somebody gave her a shelter, she slept there. If they didn't, she'd just sleep off the side of the road. Um, and, um, you know, and she traveled through all areas. I mean, some, her, some of her stories are really fascinating. Um, but she talked about... Um, uh, in one of the books written about her, you know, she talked about one of someone she ran into, uh, and it was this woman who had been, you know, her her kids had grown, and um, you know she was she was widowed, she was alone, she was really deeply unhappy in her life, you know, and she said, you know, I just spent all day living in this big four you know four bedroom house, two story house, you know, I'm cleaning it from top to bottom, and you know, and life just seems really meaningless and. And it's just, you know, so much work for what, you know. And she said, well, what do you like to do? Is there anything you like to do in your life? She said, well, you know, I like to sing and I like to swim. And she said, well, why don't you get rid of the house and sing and swim? <laughs> you know? And, you know, it was just, 
it was just so, it really took somebody really to make her look at that. And so she, you know, she sold the house and then just, uh, you know, joined a couple of groups where she did the things she really loved. And she really transformed her life. But that house was like this thing that she, there was like this big responsibility, you know, and the idea of giving up this big thing that people desire was like, it was the idea was very hard to let go of. So, um, another area that's kind of new in, in, in this culture, another area of greed is um, uh, greed for information. How, how many of you can identify with that? Right. You know, so here we have this incredible gift it's both like a blessing and a curse it's the internet and um, you know it's like this magic genie you know you ask it anything it gives you an answer I mean you know I think they they wrote fairy tales about things like that right uh, so it's pretty amazing it's a it's a really amazing wonderful tool it's it's helped so many people and um, I mean how many of you listen to audio dharma right you know a lot of you listen to the dharma talks online you know, there's so much good stuff there. And it also, because it's so instant, it really makes it really easy to get hooked on it. You know, and it doesn't matter what you research. If you research it, you'll never feel, it's, you've never gotten everything. There's just endless and endless amounts of information. And you can often feel like, okay, I just didn't do a good enough job. You know, it's just not complete enough, you know. It used to be when you were in school, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you'd go to the library, you could kind of read up on most things in the subject, and you were kind of pretty caught up. You know, maybe you'd specialize in something and, you know, get a little more detail. But it was kind of, information was kind of manageable. You know, so now there's like this endless, endless amount of information, endless amount of fun things, some good things you can miss out on. Um, you know, entertainment, you know, um, I've seen, for instance, um, uh, enjoying really good music, you know, well, I have to have every last song this person did, you know, and do I have the last album that this, so that it's something that's really joyous and, and, and wonderful in a culture of enjoying music becomes something you accumulate, you grab onto, you hold on to. It's like, uh, you know, people have thousands and thousands of songs and albums and music in their collection, you know, and instead of taking time to appreciate it, they're trying to see, what, what don't I have? What don't I have? You know, or movies, you know, did I get every last one that just happened, you know? And, and now that there's more and more and more, it always leaves people with a feeling that of not enough, you know, I've got to get one more, one more, one more. Um, So um, another area that, that now we're getting, you know, that can get a little bit more subtle of greed is greed for status. Now a lot of people say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a status seeker, you know, and that doesn't, that's something that's not in my life. But there's a lot of very subtle parts of, um, of status seeking that can be very easy to hide from ourselves. Like for instance, um, uh, how many of you know? You don't. No, I'm not going to ask it that way. Okay. <laughs> many, many of us are self-conscious of how we look, and um, some of you might identify with the idea of having a bad hair day. But what is a bad hair day 
but a desire for status. If you think about it, status is, is how people view us. You know, we want to be viewed as important, as desirable. We want people to like us, to, think, to admire us. That's what st- desire for status is. You know, we, some people might want professional desire for status. Some people might want visual desire for status or, or look how rich I am, look how great I am. It's all the same basic thing. We want people to admire us, to, to think, we're, think we're great and to like us. But that same desire for status actually keeps us away from people, keeps us away from being intimate. Um, when we want, to be, we want to be seen a certain way, then we lose that immediate connection of, of just simply connecting with another human being because that's in the way. Um, you know, wanting a new car, sometimes we want a new car because we want something that doesn't break down, but sometimes we want a new car so their, their neighbors will see that they're not driving a cheap car or, you know, an old car, you know, and that's all these little desires for status. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, when I talk about this, you know, I want to make sure, you know, like we all have these different, you know, like, uh, well, let me go back, okay? Like one of the things, like, uh, as a... As I entered a spiritual practice for myself, you know, I sort of knew, you know, I, wanted, you know I, I shouldn't be material, I shouldn't be this, I shouldn't be, you know, I should let go of all these things. But one of the things that happened is that I was, I had all these things inside me, you know. And, and for instance, you know, one of the things I never wanted to see in myself was the fact that I could possibly have an ounce of jealousy in me. It just wasn't within my self-image that I might have some jealousy. So any jealousy that I had, I kind of repressed and pushed down so it wouldn't be seen, you know. And, um, and when I first saw that, you know, that, that oh my gosh, I, I actually have some jealousy about something, you know. It, it just horrified me that it was there, you know. And, you know, and just having, you know, and, and, you know, coming to terms, the more I began to see that stuff in myself, the more I began to see how, you know, God, jealousy is suffering. It's really suffering. I began to be able to have compassion for that side of myself. You know, so when we see that we're, that we're greedy, you know, people say, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be seen as greedy, you know. But all humans, you know, suffer from these same things. They just take different shapes. And um, so when we have greed show up, we have hatred show up, you know, what we can do is just really be gentle with ourselves, you know, and really treat it as to understand these forces in ourselves, not to push them away and make them wrong, but to understand them, to see through them. You know, um, some of the other subtle, subtle areas that we have sometimes of, of greed. And the reason, part of the reason I mention the specifics is because it's easy to miss it. You know, how many of you have been to an art fair, you know, or, or a museum or something where you see something really, really beautiful? And what arises is, I want one just like it, or I have to show it to so-and-so, you know? Um, like it, the moment itself, that connection with beauty, it just isn't enough. It's like, you know, we want to hold on to it. That's greed. That's that subtleness of greed. You know, oh, I saw this. Let me show it to somebody else, you know, that, that 
to prolong it, to extend it. Sometimes it's just a joy of, oh, let me show it to so-and-so. They'll get joy out of it. But sometimes there's a different force that does that. Um, I mentioned the greed, you know, in meditation that arises, you know, for the moment to be better, that chasing that moment to be better. Um, I don't know if any of you identify with being, um, I, I guess these are phrases from, um, from previous eras, but they still apply, of being a superwoman or a renaissance man. They were like kind of two, two equal things. You know, the superwoman was you know, the, the woman who, in the days when women first began to have really vital careers, you know, who could be a mother, um, you know, and, um, and have a career. You know, of course, now then you have to be an athlete and a musician. And, you know, there's all these other things you have to be to be a superwoman, you know. And same thing with the Renaissance man who had, who had to be, you know, good at everything, you know. And, um, and the certain level of anxiety that th- those feelings create. And then the one other thing that sometimes also is hard to see are, are lifetime obsessions. I don't know if any of you have had these lifetime obsessions, you know, where if I just meet the right person, then I'll be happy. You know, and some people have, you know, consecutive relationships, one after the other after the other, looking for this right person that will might finally make them happy. Um, or, you know, they're just waiting, or they just doesn't happen, and they just know that if they just get the right person... I've known people obsessed that way over a house. You know, if I just get this perfect house, you know, and I've known a lot of people who've spent tons of effort fixing up their house, working with their house, and creating so much suffering with their partners. I mean, you know, I, I've talked to people who say, you know, basically building that house together costs us to get divorced. <laughs> you know, and, and that happens. You know, it's that they have so much invested in getting this perfect house. They forget what it's for. Um, people get obsessed with their looks. You know, people have consecutive um, surgeries. You know, uh, you know, facial surgery, trying to get just, you know, if, if only my face were just a little bit different or my body was a little different this way and just this obsession, you know, over the years. And, of course, then they get older and it gets even harder to accomplish. Um, so the movement of desire is pretty constant. Um, you know, I'd like you to try something for a moment. You know, um, I want you to do, it's going to be like a three-minute meditation, okay? And so uh, just close your eyes for a moment. You don't have to, you know, change positions too much. Just get comfortable for a moment. And let your attention just settle on the breath for a moment. And then notice any feeling of wanting that arises that makes you move, that wants to move away from the breath. What is it moving towards? Your mind rests on the breath. 
And then it doesn't want to. What does it want? What is it wanting? And if you don't know what it's wanting, how does it feel to be wanting? How does the body feel what it wants? So, did, did you feel any desire? So, I have this overwhelming desire to sneeze really loudly. And, um, and it happened earlier in the meditation too, but the thought of just disturbing everyone. So, I had this silence, sneeze. And what happened is that it was like I had blinders on. It's the only thing that I could experience at that moment. And the same when I adjusted. So, yes, please. I was noticing that sometimes um, when you have a desire for something that makes you feel good, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe I these flowers today, or it's, it's still a, I guess it, in some ways it's still a desire, and it does fill you in some way. So I was aware of that, and then I was also aware of more worrisome Right, so, so there's like the wanting to fix something, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyone? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Good. Yes. My mind was just restless and I wanted a more peaceful experience. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's what's interesting, you know, the wanting it to be more peaceful actually adds restlessness. So, so you know, the, the thing is when the desire for things to be different shows up, you know, the first thing to do is to recognize that it's there, and the next thing to do is to accept that it's there. So recognizing that we're feeling restless is important, but accepting that we feel restless is just as important. Yeah, so when desire rises, you know, um, you know the when the you know it has a momentum, it has a movement. You know, so if you kind of you, you feel like with desire you're reaching forward, you know, it's like kind of that kind of feeling, and it moves you to do something, to chase for something. And um, when we become aware that it's there, we have a choice. For instance, let's say we haven't had breakfast, we have a desire for bre- for food. That's a really wonderful desire. It moves us forward, but with mindfulness, we have a choice. We, we go, okay, is that a, health, a healthful, healthful desire? Yes, you know, we should have breakfast. Um, but we don't feel like cooking, and so we're going to grab you know, a piece of chunk, right? <laughs> you know, well, you have the choice. No, I'm going to go for, you know, I'll take the time to make something healthy. Uh, so it's that that choice is what we're looking for with mindfulness. You know, we recognize the desires there, and we can make a choice. But it, we also need to accept when we have um, uh, an unhelpful desire, unhelpful desire, to not resist it, to not fight it, to just go, oh, it's there, to get to know it. You know, we don't force those parts of ourselves away with mindfulness, but we get to know them. They, they leave on their own accord once we see through them that they're not helpful. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I have a quote I want to read you. Um, this is from Sister Sirapana. Uh, she's um, a wonderful nun. She's, she's a really, really great teacher. Uh, she wrote, she said, you have two choices. You can want to do something and do it, or you can want to do it and not do it. Okay, pretty obvious, right? But don't want to do it, okay? Um, Do it and then feel guilty about it, (laughs) okay? So if you're going to do it, don't feel guilty about it. Do one or the other, and then do it totally. And determine to learn from it. So if you're caught by guilt and judgment and self-hatred because you think you shouldn't be doing something, there's no opportunity for learning, for understanding. So if you decide to do something that might not be uh, you know, the, the most wholesome thing for you, but you, you decide to do it anyways, you're going to indulge, okay? Um, do it with an attitude of acceptance, understanding, and see what you can learn from it. Um, You give no, uh, there's no wisdom in hating yourself for doing something you don't think you should be doing. So if you spend that extra three hours on the internet that you are actually supposed to be doing something else, uh, you know, feeling guilty 
It gives no added benefits to your life. You know, and that's the middle path. You know, the middle path is not to, um, you know, indulge in things, you know, fully and not to push them away fully, you know, and repress them. You know, it's to really look, go the middle way, to be moderate. If we're not being moderate, to open to what's happening, to not push things away. This is our life right now, the way it is. Um, The mindfulness, what mindfulness does, no matter what we do, it brings understanding and, and, and should bring, bring peace. So if you do something that, that you don't think you should be doing, you know, how you relate to that is a huge part of practice. Are you bringing more peace to the situation? You know, like if you just spent those three hours in the Internet, you were supposed to be doing some really important project, right? And, uh, you know, is feeling guilty bring anything useful, anything useful at all? You know, feeling shamed and guilty and, and um, uh, you know, so what, what's useful? Oh, wow, I just blew three hours. Um, okay, uh, that's what happened. Um, you know, you can bring some humor to it, can be really helpful. Uh, we want to hold those things lightly. We want to uh, let go of that contraction, that self-hatred self, uh, when, we, when we blow it, when we do things we, you know, we don't think we should be doing. So one of the things, you know, um, I don't know how many of you have, have you been working with labeling? I know Andrea teaches that, you know. Um, you know, so for instance, with itching, you know, let's say you're meditating, you've got an itch, you know, and you, you can either say, you know, burning, tingling, itching, you know, and just these little labels that help you get a little objectivity on what you're experiencing when you, you experience something you don't like. How many of you use noting in your practice? How many of you use noting or labeling in your practice? At least some of the time. Okay, so what labeling or noting is, for instance, um, you know when you're breathing in and breathing out, right? So some people will use like a little sub-vocalization where they'll go in, out, okay? So it's a form of noting. You're noticing the air is coming in, air is going out. Okay, and sometimes that little labeling it can be really helpful to keep your attention there. Um, and it can also be used um, for uncomfortable sensations, for instance. Uh, so, you know, if you really want to scratch that itch, you know, you're really identified with it. That's my itch, and it's, I've got to get rid of it, you know, and you're really desperate. Sometimes just by noting what's going on, you know, uh, you notice, oh, this is, this is tingling, this is pulsing, this is burning. Uh, Just using the words can give you enough objectivity that it makes it easier to relax into it. And so in the same way, we do that, we can do that with really strong craving. You know, it's like, um, you know, I really want that cigarette. You know, I don't know if anybody smokes here, but but just an example, you know, and you can feel that, that, that how that craving feels in the body. It's a physical sensation when we want something, right? You know, and so we, we can label that, which might be a tightness in the stomach or, you know, maybe a tightness in the jaw or, you know. And so labeling can be really helpful in giving us a little bit of objectivity. It's not for everybody, you know. Basically, recognition is what we're looking for. We want to recognize what's happening. Labeling sometimes gives us that distance. 
Um, for instance, if you're waiting in line, okay, you're waiting in line at the market and you've got ten, a thousand things to do and you're feeling impatient. You know, you can just sit there being impatient for the next 10 minutes, you know, God, how much longer, you know, oh, I should have gone in a different line. You know, you can be in this whole state of unhappiness, or you can start really paying attention, oh, wanting, or impatience, you know, just really recognizing uh, this is what's happening right now. I'm feeling impatient, I'm feeling rushed, I'm feeling this, and just slowly, uh, you know, coming to balance in the present moment. Um, how many people in meditation uh, have experienced waiting for the bell to ring? Well, how many have not experienced that? <laughs> okay. So, you know, that's another thing, you know. It's, it's, it's a really wonderful moment. If you see that enter your mind, what a perfect time to really begin to study craving. You know, really, if, if it's such an opportunity. The next time that you feel yourself just how much longer? You know, really use as an opportunity. What does it feel like to, to want it to be over? What is that feeling like? You know, turn your attention not to how much time there's left, but how it feels. What's really going on inside you in that moment? What is it about this moment that you can't stand? You don't want to experience? What is that moment? Uh, we call that, you know, writing it out, writing out an emotion, you know. Um, you know, to stay present with how something feels. You know, I guarantee you that if you stay with that moment, you know, that moment, how much longer, that it will change. You know, just stay with it and it will change. The bell will ring eventually. <laughs> but, but the feeling will change. It just won't stay the same. So you can just get to know it. Stay with it. Write it out. And it's, it's a great place to learn to write it out because if you're committed for the whole sit, especially when you're in a group like this, right, because you're, you're most likely not going to get up before the bell rings, um, and you know you're going to be there anyways. Really pay attention to that impatience. You know, it can it really develops a certain ability to really stay present in your lives. Um, so primarily, you know, when when we're caught in craving, you know, we want to recognize it, we want to accept it. Another thing that can come into play is um, you know letting it go through atrophy. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes that if you, if you have something that's really problematic in your life, if you don't do it for long enough, it, it kind of goes away from lack of practice. Just, you know, those grooves I was mentioning, you know, in, in the mind that are that habit, just by not doing something long enough, it loses its, its um, compulsion. Um, an example for me was, um, you know, I was a compulsive science fiction reader my whole life. You know, I, I read constantly. When I was working, I'd get home from work and just pick up a book, and sometimes I'd be up all night because I had to see how it ended, you know, and then would go to work the next day bleary-eyed, but I just had to finish that book, you know, and, and so I was, you know, for, for years, you know, it's just like very, you know, very obsessed by this, and, um, and I went on a long retreat, um, you know, I think it was uh, three months, you know, where I was away from all reading, and <clears throat> when I came back, I lost interest. I was so surprised, you know, that I didn't have to struggle with it, to force myself to not do it. Like I, before I would say, okay, I won't read anything today because I'm going to get some sleep, you know. But I didn't have to do that. It just kind of went away. So that was like a really um, 
you know, interesting um, thing you know, that can happen from atrophy, just not doing something long enough and it can go away. So with any of these, um, of these places, of these, um, you know, working with these defilements, you know, there's two approaches. One approach is to really get to know it, you know, but the other approach is to develop its opposite. So with greed, what's the opposite of greed? Generosity. So working with generosity, with developing generosity or developing non-greed is a really wonderful way to work with these forces. And, you know, at times we might go one way, at times with another way, you know. But, um, um, you know, non-greed is a sense of enough. You know, it's, it's that this moment is enough, what I have is enough, um, and it's one of the really uh, beautiful things about meditation is that in meditation we're doing nothing, right? And so we're developing a sense of contentment, a sense of being at peace without having to have anything. We don't have to have anything new. We don't have to uh, get you know, strokes from anybody. We don't have to... Nothing has to happen. You just sit there and, and that's enough. So developing a sense that life is enough as it is is really the developing of non-greed. Uh, a practice of generosity, of developing... Um, you know, wh- one of the really wonderful practices um, that I've done at times, and I really recommend, maybe some of you have done that, is to commit, like for a period of time, let's say for 30 days, to do one generous anonymous act a day. You know, it's a really interesting practice. You know, nobody's going to give you any strokes. You don't get any status. You get nothing back. But just experiencing doing one anonymous uh, act each day. And maybe when you do it, you'll feel like, um, boy, that, you know, I shouldn't have given it to that person. They're, they're, they're not worthy. You know, that's okay. Whatever happens, you get to know your own heart. And it's okay, you know. Oh, that, I didn't feel generous when I, um, you know, let that, gave that to that person or let that person do that. And that's okay. You know, it's a training. It's a training of the mind. We're patient with it. It's a training just like we train on the breath. You know, it's not, I'm a bad person because I didn't feel generous when I gave that. It's really, okay, I'm training the mind to give and I see what gets in my way. Ah, that's what got in my way. Jealousy got in my way. Or judgment got in my way. Okay, that's what's in my way. That's okay. And you work with it, with whatever shows up. Um, We can practice with generosity of money, of course, of time, of attention. You know, generosity in somebody's talking to you. Do you give them your full attention? Or are you already planning what you're going to say? Or are you, you know, already planning what you're going to do later? You know, um, you know, it's a generosity of attention. When somebody gives you their full attention, it feels really good, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel really good if somebody really cares what you think, what you feel? You know, and so in the same way, that's what creates intimacy between people. You know, so, um, you know, so in by, by focusing in your life, you know, that you're going to do this every day for 30 days or a period of time, it, it really brings a certain uh, intimacy with your life. That's really beautiful to do. Um, you know, another really wonderful generosity practice is to practice letting someone have a different opinion than you do. 
yeah, that, that, that's, for some of us it can be an advanced practice. <laughs> um, but, you know, to not have to immediately push back or correct them and go, oh, and really, you know, hear that opinion and go, okay, you know, try to really think about it from their point of view before that immediate pushback. Um, so, um, so just have a couple more minutes. So, um, so if anybody has any other comments about, um, you know, uh, how you, you know, if you use generosity in your life uh, in a specific way or anything else you might want to share. Yes. Thank you. I, uh, I like the idea of allowing someone else to have a different opinion. Yes. I had a friend uh, this last weekend. She cut in line. It was to get food. And this woman got upset behind her. And I said to my friend outside, I said, you know, that was kind of a, you were running on self-will there. You know, I want this, so I'm going to do this. And she got very defensive. And I just shut up. But I can allow her, you know, to tap that. And that, that helped me now let go of it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yes? I've heard the expression, uh, phony compassion is better than real anger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that as long as we're mindful of the process, we can use it for learning about ourselves and for purifying those parts of ourselves. So if we give money because we think it's a good thing, but our hearts are saying, oh no, but I, I, I could get something for me instead, you know, and so our heart's contracted. So we, we learn how we're contracted. We just learn about that. Same thing if we listen to somebody's opinion, but we're really pissed inside. You know, I mean, we have to really think about, you know, sometimes people don't say something because they're afraid. But if you're really saying something because you're committed to being compassionate, you're committed to bring wisdom to the situation, if you're holding it in for the right reason, for a healthy reason, then you can learn from it. If you're holding it in because you don't want to be a bad person and you're repressing, then that's a different story. So it's really about your intention, why you might not say something. Yeah. So. Great. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, I'm, I'm not used to this particular group, so I, I kind of didn't leave quite enough time for discussion, so I apologize for that. Um, but thank you all. <laughs>